take just a moment as we begin to tell you on Wednesday nights, if you've not had a chance to be a part of, or maybe it's been some time since you've been a part of Wednesday night Bible study, Wednesday nights are something that we use as an opportunity to go into a little bit deeper discussion and conversations than we're able to have on a Sunday morning. Uh, Wednesdays are a lot more open in that nature of being able to back and forth and respond and talk and all those sorts of things. And this past Wednesday night, we jumped into a discussion like some Wednesday nights where, quite frankly, there is no real defined, or it's difficult to have a defined answer. This is us working through some of the more difficult texts in trying to come up with learning more about who our God is and who Jesus was here on this earth. We got into a fun conversation this past Wednesday night talking about the nature of Jesus' life. I think it was, uh, uh, I think it's a great point for us to begin with because we're going to be looking this morning toward the, the end of Jesus' life, but I, I've wondered before, as he progressed along in both the humanity and both in being the Savior, that, that's quite a daunting conversation in itself. For Jesus to have been man fully man, as we say, and God fully God. That's a hard way. It's hard to define that. Like, how does that work? And one of the questions we had this past week was, you know, did Jesus always know the fullness of what was going to happen in his life? You have on two sides of this coin, did he spend his life from the age of two, knowing that a man named Judas would later on betray him? knowing that there would be people to hit him with whips, that he would be hung on a cross. At two years old, did Jesus bear that weight, knowing that's what was going to happen to him? Was he a toddler? I mean, picture with me for just a moment the weight of that responsibility on the toddlers in your life. I mean, in his humanness, did he still know that fullness? Or, or, or did he grow slowly in, in something that he learned as he went along, more in the fullness of what God was calling him to do? We had some really good conversation this past week, and, and, and I thought it was great. I believe it was Miss Sharon Lewis that was here on Wednesday night. She brought up, you know, if, if we believe in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the Son all in one, if we believe that they've always been in existence and believe in the Trinity, always has been, always will be, then Jesus knew in fullness because He was there when Adam was created. You know, like He would have to know in fullness, which would say that as a two-year-old, Jesus knew what was going on. And then we had discussion as well, like, well, is it more in line with Jesus being fully human that He too had to work through, thus being tempted, he too had to work through what it meant to follow what the Heavenly Father wanted him to do. And we had that conversation of like, you know, where, where do we sit? And the great thing is, at the end of that conversation, we weren't necessarily as a group nailing down this side or that side. It was good conversation, very, um, very good constructive conversation of trying to, de to determine and learn more about who Jesus is. I say that because if that's something that intrigues you, some of those type discussions, we'd love to have you back Wednesday nights at 6.30. We have a great time. And it, and it does allow for some deeper, some back and forth. And as you can hear, and even in my short story here, some, some comparing and contrasting of viewpoints in these things. But it makes for a fun time together. This morning, we're going to look at that same story of Jesus, not, maybe not in the, the, the entirety of his life, but we're going to look near towards the end, and we're going to talk about, a matter of fact, turn to Matthew 26, if you would. We're going to be focusing more on as the reality of what Jesus was brought here to do, as that becomes real. Uh, in the Christian church calendar, we're entering the time that we refer to as the Passion, the times where 
Jesus has his triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. If that means nothing to you, it's the Sunday that we remember when Jesus entered the city and people were shouting, uh, praising him and saying Hosanna and laying palm branches down. And he rode that, uh, the, the colt or donkey in, depending on which text you, you know, which translation you're reading, but, but rode that into town. And, and that triumphal entry is what this Sunday is, is all about. But, but when we look back at this segment of his life, we're going to be looking at a chapter and quite frankly, As we talked about last week, it's such a dense chapter. It's such a full chapter. Matthew 26 is one that it is mountains high and valleys low. How many of you are roller coaster fans? Yeah, you enjoy them? In a very, there's a much more fun, exhaustive version of this, but in a very short uh, amount of time, I'll tell you, I, I took a young lady at the age of 13 on her first roller coaster. And a youth group trip, we went, and she was so excited to go. And I can remember as we get in the, the cart together, and it was one over in Six Flags uh, that we were getting ready to ride. And as we were going up, I can remember her. She was excited and nervous. You could hear her kind of panting as she was breathing. And then as the tick, 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 tick noise begins to take off, you know, we get closer to the top, and she starts looking, and she goes, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I was like, hey, look, you got to chill out. Like, no, no, no. Like, it's, the ticking has begun. We're, this is done. You know, there's no, I, make it stop, Daniel. Pastor Daniel, make it stop. I was like, girl, you got to just hold on. There is no making it stop. And I can remember us getting to the top, and she was losing her mind. She looks off to the side, and of course, it might as well be a million feet to the ground in your mind at this point. We go off the first hill, and it's one that you used to be called the mind bender. I don't know what it's called now, but you come off this big hill and, ev- and immediately go into an upside down curl. And I can remember as we came off the hill, she's screaming in ultimate terror. It is like someone is being tortured. And when we hit the first loop, she goes from ah, like this and I'm going, you hold your hands up, you know, like trying to make it better. We hit the first loop and she goes, oh. her head went between her knees. She buckled over the lap belt. She's out. I'm going through the first thing, holding on to her shoulders, and she's absolutely knocked out, passed out, like this, going through the, through the loop. You know, we come through the first loop, and as soon as that G-force let go of going through the loop, she comes back up. <laughs> well, if you know that ride, it goes in immediately into another loop. So, boom, she's out again. You know, so every time we went through a loop, this poor kid passed out. We get to the end of the ride, and I'm like, of course, by this time, like the last half of the ride, I'm riding it, holding on to her shoulders because I'm afraid she's going to hit her head on the row in front of her. You know, like all those sorts of things. Then we stop and I'm looking over at her going like, we need to call counselors now. Like we need to begin counseling immediately after this experience. And she looks over at me, these big guys, she goes, that was awesome. (laughs) Oh my gracious. (laughs) Like it was not for me. Okay. Like it was absolutely, she's now a roller coaster fan. She's in her mid twenties and enjoys life, travels all over the place, loves to ride roller coasters. Jesus's Matthew 26. Awesome and might as well be passing out from fear and terror. That's the chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you this morning. I want you to do for me a little bit of work. Look at that chapter, especially if you're the Bible translation you have. If it has section headings, chapter, not just chapter, but section headings, what are some of the section headings that you read within Matthew 26? Let's talk about the highs and lows and talk about Jesus as He endures what we put in one simple chapter. What are those headings? Name some of them for me. The plot to kill Jesus. Not, not the, the, I want to make sure we differentiate. This is the plot to kill Jesus, not the actual turning over, but carry on. The anointing. Anybody remember what happens at the anointing when someone sacrificially gives 
to Jesus, symbolically anointing Him. Some of the dynamics that take place in that. One of the other Gospel writers would attribute it to Judas, by the way. Why did she pour this out? It could have been given to the poor. Remember the, the dynamic of what's going on in that? What else? Judas agrees to betray. To betray. What else? One more? Last Supper. You continue to go through this, and if you went in chronological order, a plot against Jesus, Jesus anointed, Judas agrees to betray the Last Supper, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Remember, these stories are all happening within the same chapter, folks. Gethsemane where Jesus withdraws to pray. As I said earlier, Jesus saying, I will trust you, not my will but yours. Jesus is arrested and He is betrayed with what? A kiss. We have Jesus before the Sanhedrin when the trials and the accusations heading toward the beatings and the crucifixion. And then this chapter, most of your Bibles separate that last section as the fulfillment where Peter actually denies Christ. Folks, can you imagine that much of one person's life summed up in just one chapter? Understand like We read in these Gospel texts and sometimes we get in the habit of thinking chapters are about small sections or small turns or small twists in the story. But we're reading within one chapter that is our lectionary New Testament text for the morning so many twists and turns from the highs and the, the honor and the beautiful part of being anointed and, and the honor being given to knowing that there was chaos under the surface, so to speak, in a plot. That there were dynamics at play like a Last Supper about a, a denial that was coming up. Jesus carrying the burden. I mean, all of these things are taking place. And can I tell you what, folks? In a very similar way as will happen in your own life, we learn an incredible amount about Jesus in times of chaos, uncertainty, torture maybe. I mean, think about your own life. Do you not learn a great deal about yourself by dealing with chaotic times? You look back at chaotic times and you learn sometimes where you, you, you pass those things with flying colors and sometimes where you tripped and fell in the midst of chaos. So like, look back at this story and see that Jesus in the midst of all of these roller coaster ups and downs, we're learning about Him, the nature of who He is. And maybe you could say Matthew 26 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible at telling us who Jesus is. Maybe even in pointing us in the right direction and in how we should be living. One of the first things that is to be acknowledged when we're looking at this story and imagining what do we learn about Jesus is that ultimately Jesus is enduring this entire process, this entire thing that's taking place, even the highs and the lows, all of that is done not for Himself. You know what I mean? Like You may live in, in situations where you see people do things that would be characterized as selfish or for themselves or of their own motivation. Sometimes, especially when you are working in a, in a business context with people who may not embody Christ-like nature, you're accustomed to asking the question, but what's in it for you? You know what I mean? But, like, but why are you doing this? So that what are you trying to gain out of this acquisition or this deal or this transfer back and forth? And, and because of the things we see happen on this earth around us, it creates these questions in our minds to where, listen, a lot of us are skeptics. You know what I mean? A lot of us are, are doubtful. A lot of us see things taking place and we're asking like, what's the motivation here? What, why is this going on? And because we've seen so many people do things out of false humility and selfish ambition, I need you this morning to see the pure and the beauty in Jesus who is doing these things not for Himself. 
I mean, this is the furthest thing from Jesus doing something to make Himself happy. Amen? Like, there's nothing about this that is about bringing Jesus happiness. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we struggle with in this, this existence that we have right now is that, like, we do things to, in, attempt, in an attempt to make ourselves happy. And, and what I want to say this morning is, like, let's separate for just a moment the difference between what it means to be happy and what it means to have absolute joy. Right? There's a difference here because happiness is something that is oftentimes found in the temporal and the short term. Um, I have great happiness in, had an opportunity, there was a two-hour stretch open this past week uh, where I had a chance to go see if I couldn't catch a fish. And buddy, there was two and a half hours of daylight, I took the two and a half hours of daylight and off I went and even caught some. And let me tell you what, happiness is in catching fish, amen? It's there. I've had so many times in my past where I caught fish and was happy, but I can't remember them. I don't know how many thousand fish I've put in a boat that I can't even remember because it was short-term happiness. You know what I mean? Like, just in that nature, it wasn't something that was... Wasn't ex- See, Jesus isn't doing things in these moments to make Himself happy. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, for Jesus to live out and be who He's called to be, which I'm challenging you this morning, the only way to find true joy on this earth is to know what you were put here for and to accomplish that task. I'm not in any way trying to, to call out our praise and worship team, but do you think they wake up early on a Sunday morning to make themselves happy? You understand? I don't know what time all of them get up, but I can speak for one household. It's early. I can speak that oftentimes on Sunday mornings they show up having not slept well. Amen? Talked about that this morning. Folks, there's a difference in doing things. Making me happy would be staying at home with a cup of coffee. Making me happy would be doing the things I want to do. Making me happy, I mean, let's go ahead and speak to the choir here for just a moment, even though the not choir is listening in other avenues. Making me happy would be to not take out of what I want to do on a Sunday morning to give God honor by being in a place of worship and participating. You understand? There is joy And when we do things that are bigger than ourselves and not for ourselves, let me tell you this morning, if you are here to make yourself happy, you're missing the point of being here, okay? This is about participating in something much bigger than ourselves. We are here to point back toward the God who gave us breath. Not not for ourselves in this, but we are here because there's joy found in doing something that matters much greater than filling ourselves. And in Jesus going through this, He is exemplifying the difference between short-term happy and long-term joy. And yes, there's lots of good conversation to to have about how does that happen and, and how do we differentiate. And that's not to say that you should never be happy, but let me tell you, God's primary existence is not to make you happy. Okay, That's not His greatest goal. God does not go to bed at night and lay His head on a pillow and go, at least they were happy today. You know what I mean? That's not the picture of what we have, what it means to serve God and what it means to live that out. I mean, look back at Jesus. There is immense peace and I would argue joy found in the sincerity of serving other people and doing what God has called you to do. There's immense joy found in knowing that I have served God and I have served others. There is peace in that. And Jesus is representing short-term happiness for Him would be like, nah, I'm not down with all this. 
I don't want to participate in all these things that are coming up in my future. Regardless if you see, to kind of circle back for a moment, regardless if you see Jesus as a two-year-old knowing the fullness of it, or a, or a man at Gethsemane getting the full picture of what's about to happen, regardless, at this point in the story, he is very well aware of what's coming on. Amen? Very well aware. And yet in his very, uh, very acute awareness of what's coming in his very near future, He's not choosing to do the short term that may make life easier on him. He's not choosing that which would make him make, make life more passive. He's choosing the things that would make life honestly more difficult in the short term because he knows what will happen in the long run. He sees down the road further and sees the benefit of, of doing what is right. I, I live around people today who are suffering in the wake of having made decisions to be happy in short moments and now they are deprived of joy because they said yes in the happy moments knowing that that short-term happiness, or maybe not knowing, regardless, they said yes in the, in the short-term happy moments and now joy is very, very hard to find because that happiness is now bringing them to a place where, where they are filled with regret because of what that moment of happiness actually caused in their life. Where they have to live every day knowing about the mistakes that they've made in other situations where their liver is shutting down and they're not sure if they're going to see their next birthday. Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning, God, Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could necessarily be happy in those short-term things. He went down that road to show you what real joy and peace is found and knowing that at the end of the day, you can lay your head on the pillow knowing that you have served God and others well. Amen? That's what Jesus is representing in this story, that He has served His heavenly Father and He is serving other people well. He's serving people that, well, like you and me, that He doesn't even know yet. One of the things about this story of Jesus as we read through this chapter and we're watching the things that He's going through and what He's exemplifying in front of us is all of these things that He's enduring. He's doing for people that don't even exist on the earth yet. You understand like, I, you, uh, we were all born some 1,900 years after Jesus. 1,900, 1,900 years after Jesus. And yet Jesus is dying on the cross and doing these things of, of, of not fun and not happiness. He's going through the suffering of life because that's what God had put Him on this planet to do. And so now, 1,900 years later, I'm able to find eternal salvation because He saw me 1,900 years down the road. Praise God. Amen. He saw me. He saw you as well. We're talking about a Jesus who knew that short-term happiness and making this end wasn't worth it because of the difference he could make 1,900 years later in this wretched soul's life. He goes through those things for someone 1,900 years later, 2,000 years later born. I will do all of this for them. And with the, all of this, we would like to, to focus or to talk for a little while about the, the aspects of crucifixion that are to follow, the things of trial that are really to follow in this story, the, the, the torment and the pain, all of that he goes through for us. But folks, part of his story to go through, he wasn't just doing that for those who would come some 2,000 years later. Let's talk about the dynamics for just a moment of what he's doing for those people who are in his midst at that exact moment. Not just for us, but even for them. Right? It's not just for the, those who would come later, but, but those who were right there in his midst in the middle of it. 
I would ask you this morning, who has the potential to hurt you the most? In your life, who has the potential to wreck your world? You got to answer out loud. But if this person did something just totally uncharacteristic, who has the potential to wreck your world in the greatest manner? Because of the nature of what marriage was, is called to be and, and how it's represented in the Bible in the numerous assimilations between the love of the Heavenly Father and husband and wife and those sort It'd be hard for me this morning not to say one of the first answers would be that spouse that you're married to right now. Like, there may be other people in your world as well that, that could hurt you the most, but it's likely your spouse. And, and let me challenge you with this. If it's not your spouse, woe be it and get to working on your marriage. Amen? Amen. Like, your spouse needs to be the most vulnerable person. You, you are the most vulnerable to them in your entire life. This does not mean that you don't have some great friendships outside of that relationship. Uh, that, you know, your, your wife, my wife can never be one of my boys. You know what I mean? Like one of, my, one of the dudes I hang out with. It's a different relationship because it's more. Amen? It's more. It's, it, it means more. And so this morning, I ask you the question, who were the ones who could stick you the worst, who could hurt you the worst? And the reality is, it's either that spouse that you do life with, or at this point in your life, depending on what curveballs life has thrown and what situations you found yourself in as well, regardless of spouse or not, it is the people that are closest to you. Amen? Those are the ones that can stick you the worst. Those are the ones that like, when, when something happens with those close relationships, that it hurts the most. I want you to look back at this story here for just a moment. Jesus not only went to the cross and suffered. Depending on how you see Him, it doesn't matter to me this morning if Jesus in human form knows the sins that you will commit in 2023 or not. Okay, Whether He knows them or not, regardless, He dies for them. Amen? We can have great Wednesday night conversations about what all does Jesus know, what does He not know, how human is He, how much God is He, and how does all that work. It's all great. But put that on the back burner for just a moment because for this conversation, it flat out don't matter. Regardless of his, if he knows exactly what you're going to do or not, he knows at this juncture he's dying so that you and I can find salvation. But he's not just dying for those that he, that, that he knows are coming in the future for however many years and however many stories, however many souls and lives. It's not just dying for that. He's dying for the ones that he looked in the eyes and says, you will disown me. He's dying and, and willing to go for the cross. I'm going to tell you, in his humanness, you're going to have a tough time arguing to me this morning that the story of Peter doesn't hurt bad. You have a tough time arguing with me. Folks, look back at this story for just a moment. Peter was told, like, you will deny me. And he's like, absolutely I will not. Or Jesus says, you know, some of you will deny. Absolutely I will not. Peter's putting his, his you know, stake in the ground. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's calling it over like, I will not do this. And Jesus looks at him and goes, before the rooster crows, you'll do it three times. Absolutely not, Peter walks off. Can you imagine for just a few moments? Can you imagine? I wonder sometimes, did Peter even recognize what he had done as he was denying Christ? Or was he living in the short-term moments of the happiness of surviving chaotic situations? Remember that? Was he living in those short-term moments just enough to say, 
I'm going to get myself out of this jam. I'm going to say what I need to say to get myself out of this jam. And then he gets into another jam. And he gets into another jam. Can you imagine whether he was counting them or not? Can you imagine the realization when the rooster crows? Can you imagine the third time that he disowns Christ? This morning, it's not just us this morning who have likely in similar ways denied Christ. It is the ones that Jesus looks in the eyes that He continues to die for, continues to go to that cross for, continues to suffer for because He's less worried about His happiness and He's more interested in the joy and the peace that serving God can give and what that means for the people He's serving around Him. Even the Peter, He looks in the eyes and recognizes Even more so, you read back in this story, one of the first things that you all brought up when I said, what are the things that are taking place in this story? What are you reading about? One of them was a word called plot. And what plot was taking place? It's Judas, right? Judas Iscariot as we read it, which means Judas Iscarioth, or the one from Kerioth. Judas Iscariot is to signify which Judas he is. As a matter of fact, look back in your New Testament. It can be very confusing because there's like six or seven Judases. Judas is a common name. Surprisingly, not many people name their kids Judas these days. I think that one kind of sealed the deal. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever been talking about we're going to name our child a certain thing? And what do you use Daniel? Because that'll be the easiest scapegoat. We're going to name our child Daniel. And you know, like, you know, maybe your husband says, "Hey, we, maybe we should name our son Daniel." And you're like, "No, I knew a Daniel. He's horrible. I ain't naming him after Daniel." You know what I mean? I ain't doing. How many of you have done that? Oh, I did. You may not have, but I did. The names came up, and I was like, "Nope, I know somebody named that, and I can't do it." You know, we can't name our kids Judas. But I need you to know that back in the Bible, when we're reading in these New Testament stories, there's numerous Judases, numerous Judases that were brothers of this person, brothers of that person, brothers that people who took in Saul later on in the story. Judas, like you're reading about all these guys. Judas Iscariot, the one of Kerioth, and as some of the gospel writers will say, the one who would betray. The one who used to dip his hand in the money pouch. I mean, we start getting a character sketch of this individual. Folks, we learn about the nature of Jesus because Jesus looks at a man and even calls a man who spends three years of life. You think with me for just a moment, what all did Judas experience? He experienced eating the food that Jesus broke to feed 5,000 and then again to feed several more thousand. He watched lame people get up. He watched blind people receive their sight. He was there while Jesus was being threatened to be stoned and retreated with Him. He returned back when they were afraid that they would be killed. He still stuck it out with Him. But somewhere, evil began to get a bit of a hold in Judas's life to where he sold Jesus for the price of a common slave. Folks, those pieces of silver, you got to know. If you are bartering to get Jesus, if you have thought about Judas as selling Jesus for money, I'm afraid you're missing the mark in this. Like I have a hard time seeing Judas selling him for money. Because you want to know what? (laughs) Here's a great illustration. September 20th, 2001. You ask whatever you want to be able to turn over Osama bin Laden, and you get paid whatever you want because he's the greatest threat to that government at that time. Jesus being a tremendous and the greatest threat of his time to that government. You think Jesus is worth 30 pieces of silver? You think he's worth the same price as a common slave? This is not about money, okay? 
Maybe about misconception. Maybe about misunderstanding. Maybe Judas is trying to trigger. Maybe Judas is angry because he got called out earlier and he's, he's embarrassed. And so now he's trying to lash out. Maybe Judas has been told that this man is going to come and be a king and he just rode in on a colt and they put palm branches down in front of him. Come on. This is not what I signed up for. So I'm going to pull the trigger, proverbially speaking, and we're going to find out just who this Jesus character is because I'm going to cause a ball to start rolling that he's got to prove himself in if this is going to happen. To me, it doesn't matter how you view Judas in this story. The bottom line is Judas missed the mark on knowing who Jesus was. And Jesus still dies for him. The same man who breaks bread and who drinks from this cup. Let me rock your world a little bit more. The same men that Jesus washes their feet knowing what they're going to do to Him. This morning, when we read Matthew 26, and you see the dynamics of what are at play and what's taking place, how can you respond in any other way but in honor and in submission to a heavenly Father who sent His Son Jesus Christ, who lived out what it meant to, to serve a greater purpose than Himself? Amen? Amen.